What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind, broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Right, the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Cosmic, Cosmic Radio. Twisted Soul. Futuristica Radio. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. How are you? My name is Imran. Thank you very much for tuning in. Thank you for your time and your company for today's episode. Uh, before we jump in, uh, as usual, a very quick reminder that uh, the Blue in Green podcast runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio, the online internet radio station that broadcasts from London and hosts shows uh, from across the whole wide world, from uh, obviously the UK, uh, Paris, France. Niigata, to Japan, Melbourne, Australia, San Jose, California, Denver, Colorado. Uh, so we're very, very proud to, um, to uh, champion uh, just music that we're insanely passionate about and uh, to do so through the airwaves. Uh, please feel free to visit us at blueingreenradio.com. We will find our radio stream as well as the full backlist catalogue of the blue in green podcasts and uh, a whole bunch of reviews and interviews and uh, exciting things to occupy your time with uh today's episode with an incredible amount of excitement i get to announce that uh we are uh, joined by the wonderful company of miss carol c an incredible solo artist in her own right um uh, most notable uh, perhaps as uh, being a uh, as being the lead vocalist and co-founder of the band Say, whose debut album was released in september 2001 which uh the, this recording is going out in august 2021 so next month um again at the time of this recording will mark the uh 20 year 20 year anniversary uh of Cisse's self-titled debut album um it's so great to kind of have uh, this opportunity to sit and talk to carol about that album how the band came together how they got signed to luaka bop um uh, obviously uh, to discuss um, uh, Carol's wonderful solo work and the release of her solo album 7 uh, the songwriting kind of process collaborating uh, with other artists uh, we uh, we just it was just this is such a, a bucket list kind of conversation it's so awesome that uh, we um, kind of had this opportunity to spend time with such a revered and uh, insanely talented artist I've said we a couple of times that's right friends I didn't get to do this alone I had to I had the, uh, the wonderful pleasure of sharing this uh, kind of moment with um, the fantastic Lamoli from the Super Sonido show who um, was just beaming with excitement as much as I was uh, to kind of have the, this chance to kind of to talk to the, the amazing Carol C so um, yeah this is it sort of uh, Molly um, uh, Molly's presence made this all the, all the more exciting for me as well so um, I think this is a wonderful uh, hour plus conversation that I think uh, for fans of Cissé uh, for fans of uh, Carol C's subsequent solo work as well I think that there's a uh, there's so much to kind of um, 
to enjoy about this conversation so many great anecdotes as well about performing live and uh, um, yeah wonderful uh, successes and achievements that are kind of associated with with her and her musical endeavors and adventures uh, to this point uh, regular listeners will know uh, we feature two songs per podcast. Our guest, in this case, Miss Carol C, will pick the closing number for our episode today. Uh, but it falls upon me to pick our opening one. And uh, this was so hard. Uh, we have uh, two amazing CSA albums, two uh, associated EPs for the album. We have Carol C's solo material uh, as well. Uh, I thought it would be probably most appropriate to uh, play something from uh, the Seven album. Uh, which was released in 2019 so it's um, a really brilliant album again we get to kind of discuss this project uh, during today's episode Uh, seven track project Uh, it took seven years to make as well which is amazing and I'm going to pick uh, perhaps my favorite I think from the project is the album opener entitled all my love so I think that's probably the best uh, introduction to the project as well um, I hope very much you'll enjoy the episode a massive thank you to Carol C and a huge thank you uh, to the Molly as well for uh, for being a part of this so uh, my friends without further ado uh, you're listening to the Green Green podcast and this is uh, myself and the Molly spending time with Carol C
Uh, no, absolutely appreciate your time, though. Um, I, 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 we were kicking dates around for uh, quite a while. Oh, yeah. Um, but you had the best reason in the world for not being kind of initially free because you, you weren't back on tour. I did. A I went on weeks tour. Ago. Yeah, yeah. And we're going back out um, in a few weeks again for another short run. But um, yeah, with the Pimps of Joy Time from New York. Not sure if you've ever heard of them. Oh yeah, they're oh gosh, yeah, they're exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Cool. That's so yeah. cool. So um was was this as as Carol C solo star? Was this as Cisse? Was this Um it's as as Carol C. I'm doing some I'm cut kind of, they're like three lead singers, the primary one being um Brian J. He's like the the founder of the group. And then there's um Sometimes it's Chauncey Yearwood from New York as well. Mm. Um, Marcus Ferrara, he's from the, um, oh my goodness, <laughs> Antibalas, sorry. Antibalas, <laughs> so yeah, he's I from Antibalas, yeah. yeah. What, what was it like being on, on a stage again? How long had it been since you had last? Wow. Um, well, I had been on tour with Pimps of Joy Time when like the whole pandemic craziness broke out um when it was like peaking in new york i was on tour we were in new orleans doing a, a bill withers tribute show and um we never went back so i'm actually in new orleans at the moment so but, it's, um, yeah mm-hmm. well how, how what what are, what are what are crowds like there now is it you're you're performing to a sea of, of masked people equally spaced or is it kind of everything is all okay now ish um I, there wasn't a whole lot of like social distancing going on in the crowd i mean uh, we were social distancing as as the band but um the crowd it was um all out in the you know outdoors like these small festivals the first one maybe i don't know 300 people the second one was about 2,000 but um yeah the crowds began like a little distance and then by the you know by the end of the shows everyone was just dancing <laughs> um but it was interesting I hadn't been on the road I guess a year and a half it's been since I was on the road last which was here uh in March of wow 2020 so um yeah I mean the crowd was just so warm and welcoming and so excited just to be at a show and and you know watching live music again and same for us we were just so excited i mean the energy was on 10 and i i i imagine a lot of people came up to us after it was like this is my first show what a great first show to come to and stuff like that so it was my first show since since a year and a half so so yeah it was just all very exciting for everyone i guess how how was that initial like quarantine period for you then how did you kind of um adapt to that time of having to just be relegated to to home it's something molly and i we, i think we've had probably about three or four conversations uh like podcasts that molly and i have discussed yeah. kind of, <laughs> uh that that period of things are getting better no no they're all getting worse now and they, they've extended the waves at home. Yeah, yeah yeah how how was that period for yourself well it was interesting because um when everything started to 
get really scary in New York. We were here and we were actually, we were only supposed to be here for, I think it was 10 days. And my family was like, things are getting pretty bad. We don't know if this is going to last a few weeks or a few months. Like no one really knew Hmm. um, at first. So we were like, let's stay a few weeks. And then a few weeks turned into maybe we'll just stay a few months. And we finally went back in May, gave up our um, apartment, my boyfriend and I. Um, in Brooklyn, we moved everything into storage and, and came here. He has a, a house here in New Orleans. So it was not only like the stress of a pandemic, but also I felt really, um, displaced, you know, my family and friends are all in New York mm-hmm. and things were just so, they escalated so quickly over there. Um, that, you know, I was nervous for my loved ones and also I missed them. And so it was, it was an interesting transition for me, um, being here away from everyone. Mm-hmm. But, um, from an artist perspective in terms of like, you know, we just talked about like touring and going out and kind of performing on that level. How did you kind of feel the impact on, you know, being an independent artist? How, how was that kind of for you where you kind of thought, well, I'm having difficulty now making myself visible to, to people out there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did what a lot of artists did, like a lot of these like Facebook live shows. And uh, I also did some DJ sets. I mean, it was mostly like, like, yes, there was an option for, you know, if you want to send some money and <laughs> that always helps uh, an indie artist, but um, just also for, uh, to find some kind of normalcy in the whole thing. It's like, I miss just performing. And although it's drastically different to perform, like while talking to like a phone or a computer, or you know, yeah. Um, I still, you know, with people chatting back and forth on Facebook live, you still kind of felt something like, Oh, people are there, even though I can't hear them after, like after every song, you're just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right i did but, see um, recently your facebook <laughs> the facebook performance you did i think from october and uh-huh. I, that was the exact thought i had when you finished the first song and i thought i wonder if that's weird when you, you're because you are performing it's not like a studio yeah. session you've performed and it's gone huh. yeah well you close <laughs> you close your eyes and you could be anywhere i mean when i'm on stage i close my eyes but i open them and there's a crowd for this it was like an empty living room but um <laughs> so that you know that was interesting as well but um but yeah I still enjoyed like if I had not done that at all I would have probably missed performing even more so at least there was some outlet for that sorry it was interesting sort of like from I guess from the from in artists in general and like the industry how they had to kind of come up with like innovative ways to as I said sort of um to keep visible like I mean you have Bandcamp Fridays as as one thing where they kind of try to sort of help you know independent artists artists who couldn't Mm -hmm. tour and and stuff like that and as you said the live streams with the tip jars and everything you know it was just sort of interesting how people um you know companies and individuals basically had to rethink their their approach to stuff like this yeah definitely I was just going to say, now that you're back live again in concerts, like, has that affected how you interact with your audience at all? Well, me personally, yes. Um, I know, you know, some of the band members were a little more friendly than I was. Mm -hmm. And not that I'm trying to be unfriendly, but I keep things really short. And I do try to keep um, 
some physical distance. I'm just, you know, we've all worldwide been through a lot this past year and a half. Some of us maybe are a little more cautious than others. So I happen to be a little more on the careful side. So yeah, I mean, I used to just mingle after shows and like, yeah. you know, there's the hugging and the picture. So it's, it feels a little different. And I think, you know, slowly I'll adjust to the new, you know, ways of being, but it was a little weird to like, not shake a lot of hands or, and people sometimes even ask like, Hey, are you shaking hands? Are you hugging? You know? So it's, yeah. It's been, nice that they ask though, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. as opposed to just assuming, yeah. well, we're here. So, right. you know, this is the way it's got to, you know, you're just going to have to do it. <laughs> so yeah. I would say ask. for the, I would say for the most part, people were pretty, um, yeah, respectful. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool that you were at least at that milestone where we can, where you can sort start getting out and kind of performing again to that kind of capacity as well. So, yeah, hopefully it's something that I don't know. I mean, there's the the law, there's the legal aspect of what you're allowed to do, but then, as you say, the comfort level of just individuals and what they're comfortable to do, you know. So, yeah, it's interesting. So, yeah, we're. I mean. We have some tour dates coming up August, September, I think all the way through like January. And we're wondering at this point, we keep hearing things that, oh, they might shut down again or they might require everyone at the venue like to get vaccinated, which will change the, you know, turnout. Of course, not everyone's going to be into that. So we're, we're just hearing all kinds of things and we're wondering um what you know what will happen in mm. the next few months amazing it's funny you mentioned you, you you actually caught me off guard when you said uh pimps of joy time because i i did know i do know the band it's kim dawson has is a vocalist or she's yeah. been a vocalist for the group yeah. so that i mean that's a completely different uh or, or excuse me is that completely different sort of uh <laughs> sound from what you know i guess kind of from your solo album which we wanted to hoping to hopefully to discuss a little later on but from cse stuff from your solo stuff or other collaborations you're now in a big blazing spunk and soul band which is uh, <laughs> incredible right it's pretty different yeah yeah it's different and it's really fun i mean sometimes it feels like playing a character sometimes cuz right. it's it is like i mean it's very far from my work with CSA and my solo work. Um, but for that reason, I, f- I do find it a lot of fun. It's like a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I am being allowed to bring my, my own self into the project. So we're, I wrote a few songs for their new album oh, and um, yeah, wrote a little disco song. And so you'll hear a little CSA in there somewhere. Um, but yes, I, I do, uh, for the, these upcoming tours, I'm going to do a Celia Cruz uh, cover, La Vida es un Carnaval. I don't know if you know that one. But, um, and uh, a disco cover. So yeah, I, I am bringing my own kind of style and sound to the project, which is, mm-hmm. has been fun. Amazing. We were, um, it's funny, when we were... <laughs> Uh, leading up to this conversation, Molly and I have been having uh, a bit of back and forth to see which one of us will geek out the hardest <laughs> about the fact that we're talking to you. And um, I think when we initially had a, uh, our 
uh, out the last time we actually were going to try and have a have a this recording but you know we had the google chrome issues just at that point when i was kind of waiting for you to connect molly emails just randomly you know uh, and i'm like hey i'm waiting you know you know c saying carol c she's like yes yes i do (laughs) very much so it was like okay i don't think this one's going to work out but you you gotta jump in next time right so (laughs) it was i'm very happy in a weird way that that didn't work out because this has been um kind of awesome i'm looking forward to this uh for like for three of us to kind of sit down and have this conversation because obviously i'm sure you you're very probably aware of this but you know discussing Cisse and this year is the 20 year anniversary uh, of, Yeesh, of your know. debut record how which crazy. is that's insane yeah <laughs> how do you kind of look look back at that wow. after this all this time I mean a lot has happened <laughs> from then to now but it doesn't feel like 20 years there's no way it feels like 20 years um mm. it's so crazy yeah 2001. So Molly, you're a fan, I take it. Yeah, big time, <laughs> love- definitely. Oh, thank you, guys. Yes, I love it. There's a there's a quote um, that I've I was kind of I, I looked up uh, sort of online where you had described uh, what what that kind of C say sound was was going to be, and you you describe it as it's about mixing stuff up that's not usually mixed together, which I definitely want to ask you about in a moment. But then sure. you said we're a band from New York City, and we try to combine all of its musical traditions, including hip hop beats, Latin rhythms, and down tempo electronic music, because that's what we hear every day of our lives. It's a prelude to the future. What an incredible closing line! I I love that. It's a prelude to the future. <laughs> I mean, this is going to sound like I'm blowing smoke, but to listen to that first album, it it's not aged a day. No. Wow. Thank it, you. It sounds honestly like it came out yesterday. It really, really does. And uh, I I can't think of, you, I couldn't imagine you guys would be more, you could be more proud of what, you know, the end result is 20 years later for you to have done something that, you know, we're here kind of to talk about and celebrate in in this fashion. I mean, you, yeah, I would have thought you'd both be incredibly proud of it. Well, thank you for such a huge compliment. I know I, I hear albums, like older albums, and, and when they stand the test of time, for me, it's like, wow, how did they do this? So right. thank you for saying You've done that. done it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the band, the original members, we were all from New York and we all had like our favorite music and we got together as a group and like we, everyone brought in their, you know, their style, their, their own thing to the project. So our, the producer loved underground hip hop. He still does. That's um, Cliff Christofaro, who goes mm-hmm. by Crystal Faro now. Um, Farley, the drummer loved reggae. So you always knew who was driving, even if you fell asleep mm-hmm. by the music, like if it was reggae, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have to open my eyes. I'd be like, Oh, that's Farley. If it was hip hop, uh, it was Cliff. So, and, um, our bass player loves like, you know, classic rock. Um, so yeah. And I was really into both new wave and like also just traditional like music that I grew up with my parents listening to like musica romantica, which is like, you know, the ballads, the Spanish ballads and stuff and, and merengue from, you know, my Dominican parents. So we kind of just like put it all together. It's like one big stew of sounds because everyone wanted to, oh, oh, let me come up with this, you know, baseline. It would sound like, I don't know, like 
Pink Floyd or something. And then Farley would be like, no, no, let's put a, a delay on the snare, you know, for the dub sound. So that's basically how it all happened. It's just whatever was going on in our heads we put together. So it's interesting how you called it a prelude to the future. And really now, like 20 years later, that's what so many artists are doing is sort of that well, musical you, soup that you talked you about. You got it right on like what I meant at the time because we were being asked, like every interview was like, how did you think of as if it was something we like really, you know, were so clever mm-hmm. to think about. We weren't really thinking about it. We were just going in a studio yeah. and expressing ourselves. And that's because everyone had, you know, different tastes in music. It just naturally organically happened. So after being asked a bunch of times, I was like, I kind of think this is where the future is going. People just mixing stuff together. And this is before, you know, singles were so big or Spotify because people just make playlists. It's not like you're listening necessarily to one person, one artist's album straight, you know? Yeah. Like many times you make a playlist, you throw a little this, a little that. So for me, that's where I thought music was going at the time. So, and, um, and it did. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. It's interesting that you don't like, it's sort of, you can hear all of those sounds in each song. It's not like you guys did a reggae song, then a soul song and a Latin song. You know, each, each song sounds like this, just this, very almost easy it's, and that's the, the 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 brilliance of it it doesn't sound like I'm always intrigued when you hear a project like this because it can you, you often think is it something that you've deliberately tried to do where you were sat down as you said earlier and said let's do this massive kind of genre mishmash uh, you know fusion or is it something that let's just make music organically and whatever happens happens and it sounds like it was more like the latter but it's it is always interesting when you can hear it and it, all these different elements of each song is just coming right out at you. And you think it's, you're making it sound easy, but it's, it's, I imagine a, well, I use the word formula, uh, formula that's really hard to kind of, to duplicate, I would have thought for, for people. And I imagine there's lots of almost failed attempts to do so. Yeah, I, I can imagine that if you're intentionally trying to do it, it might be like putting these pieces of puzzles together that maybe like oh they're not fitting right but if you're if you're like to get getting together with a few people and making like a collage for example you know it's it's kind of collaging things and they just kind of blend into each other we did even though we had like our different tastes there were overlaps for sure we're all new yorkers we all we all grew up with hip-hop we all grew up with reggae we understood each other's genres so to speak um and I think that's why it all kind of blended together. But but literally, it would be like we would a lot of our songs were written where we would at least for the first album, we would go in a studio and just jam, just like let's just warm up, and that would turn into a song. And then you know, let's say Farley would throw in a little break, and it would be kind of like a little like reggae break in the middle. And we oh yeah, let's keep that. Why not? It happened so smoothly. Let's record it. So. Um, yeah, we didn't think much about it. But once we started, I didn't realize it was even a thing until we put the album out and people were asking, like, how do you guys mix these genres? And I was like, oh, I guess we do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, how did you guys come to the attention of Luca Bop? 
So, Am I even pronouncing that correctly as well? I've never heard anyone say it. Luke, is it Lukabok? Luaka. Luakabok. Yeah, go. and I okay. think it was a made-up word. I think David made that up. <laughs> he changed his answer like every time someone asked him. Um, so, yeah, we... So I first met with Cliff, the producer. I was just recording ideas on a cassette tape. And a friend of mine heard this. And she was like, oh, my, my boyfriend is looking for an artist to, to manage. And I was like, I'm just putting ideas on a cassette. I'm not ready for a manager. But she was like, just meet with him. Maybe he can give you advice on, you know, whatever. So I met up with him and he was like, I want to make a demo with you. And I was like, okay. He's like, I know this producer. His name is Cliff. So Cliff and I never met before putting the demo together that made it to Luakaba. We were doing everything through our mutual friend, Hector, who later became our manager. So I went into the studio with Cliff's Beats, never having met him. We put the whole thing together. And it wasn't until we got like the attention of Luakabop that we were like, oh, let's meet up. So we met up at, a, I don't know if you remember, Estero. Of course, artist. yeah. So we went to, there used to be a place called Canal, the Canal Room on the corner in New York Canal and Broadway, was it? Yeah, th- no. Anyway, on the corner of Canal somewhere. And um, we met there and he brought his friend Farley and he was like, yeah, my friend plays drums. Da, da, da. So once the demo got into the hands of uh, David Byrne and the at the time, Yale Evelev was the president. I think he's still managing everything. Yale Evelev, they were like, well, we want to see the band live, but we didn't have a band. So I was like, well, you said Farley plays drums. Let's just jam together. And I had a friend, Jeannie, who played uh, viola. And then I had a friend named Morgan who played bass. And we were, I had never even heard him play bass. But we were like, let's just jam and see if we can like come up with something. And that's how the band got formed. Um, and then because Luakabop needed to see us live, we put a show together just for Luakabop. So you went backwards. You got the record <laughs> yeah, deal first. Yeah, we got the record deal first. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we did. And it was, it was just a little demo. You know, it was like five tracks. Um, so we put the first show together and the manager of the label uh, came to that show and she was like, I like it. I'm going to send, send Yale to the next show. And we were like, oh yeah, the next show. We had to put together a next show. But <laughs> we, we, we barely knew each other except I knew Morgan socially and I knew Jeannie. But um, we didn't really know each other as a band. I had just met Cliff and Farley. So we put another show together and Yale Evelev, the president of the label, showed up. And he was like, I love it. I want to send David to the next show. And we were like, oh, my God, <laughs> this show has to be good. So, um, so yeah, we hired a percussionist for that show just to, you know, liven things up. And um, and we did a third show and, and David showed up to that show and he was like, yeah. Let's meet, come to the label. And that was that. And then we we got invited really soon after that to go on tour with him for the Look Into the Eyeball tour, I believe it was called. Wow. Yeah, it, it all happened very quickly. I was not ready for it. I was mm. so incredibly nervous to do that tour. Well, yeah, so. what kind of, what size crowds are you, are you talking oh about? Oh, my God. I went from like... Those three shows we put together just for the label were like these tiny, it was like, you know, 50 people, maybe 100. 
we went from that to like thousands of people. <laughs> I was like, what am I even, the stage was so big compared to these teeny tiny stages that you have to like squeeze yourself and like, excuse me, just to like pass by the drummer. So like, we didn't know what to do with the stage and, and we didn't want to be too far apart because they were like, you know, they were spreading us out and we were so nervous that we still needed kind of like each other's energy. So we were like, can you put us a little closer together just so that, you know, we can communicate more. Um, it was, we had to learn a lot very quickly, very quickly. So wow. how many, how many times did you, how many performances were there in, in, on that run? I think we toured with him for three months and then like, yeah, in the middle of it all was September, you know, mm. 2001, that thing that happened. Yeah. Right. So you can only imagine. I mean, we came back home. It was like everything just stopped and God. we came home and I actually was, it's because we were out and came home for a couple of days and that's when it happened because I was home in Brooklyn when it happened, but we were like, are we going back out? Like everything was put on hold. And I think our album had just come out. I think it was like, I have to look it up, but I feel like it was like the first week in September or something like that. So it was like a weird time for, we were so excited. Our first album, we're touring with David and then that. So we did go back. We finished the tour. We did a couple of shows and it was like, the mood was just interesting for sure. But um, that was, yeah, that's how we got signed and just got thrown into this big, <laughs> exciting. Your, your, yeah. The Wikipedia page says that you guys have performed. I, I, I don't know. It, hopefully all this is, you know, with Wikipedia, it always has a question mark around it. But um, it. <laughs> It says you guys have performed with Nora Jones, Craftwork, mm-hmm. Gotan yeah. Project, and yeah. James Brown. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I can't. <laughs> and all those artists are so different from each other. It's like, how did <laughs> how did any of those happen? But yeah, we did. Those are all true. Um, James Brown opened for Say. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, the thing is, he didn't actually open. It was a festival. I'm sure he had something really important to do, and he wanted to go on early. <laughs> that happened. It happened to us at a festival with The Roots as well, where The oh, Roots wow. with Cody Chestnut. They actually, it was so oh weird gosh. that they played before us, but I think they had something really important to do, and they were like, "No, we want to go first." And so, you know, technically you can say they opened for us. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, even though, <laughs> even, even though they had the bigger crowd. But, you know, we don't have to talk about that. Um, but, yeah, it would, and I, I didn't get to see him because usually you're getting ready. That's the thing about, like, the earlier band, whether it's, a, whether it's a band you never heard of or a band you're excited to see, usually you're, like, getting dressed and the makeup and warming up the voice or whatever you 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 know want to do so i personally the boys did they checked him out but i didn't because i was like oh my god i was so nervous about the crowd and you know how do you follow that up you know so Hmm. i didn't actually get to see him gosh that is amazing it's a great stat though i'm I'm (laughs) definitely sticking with he opened for you guys you know let's i'm gonna yep i'm gonna stick with that too (laughs) 
But you know, you say that it doesn't like it's such an interesting variety of of artists you've opened up for opened up for you. But I don't think it is because it seems to me like that is who you are as well. Like I've always been impressed at how like kind of different your different projects are. Like Cisse, and then I remember I found some group you were doing Juka. I don't know. Oh, yeah. what, Oh my yeah. God, you know about Juka. I love, like still, I was oh. singing one of those songs in my head all day today because I, I love them for so long. Yes. That's so crazy. We made only like a limited amount yeah. of those and you I know, have one. I everywhere. Aww. <laughs> um, but that was different from Cisse, which was different from your solo work. And then now you're doing like funk. And so I think it makes perfect sense that you have such a wide variety of other artists. Yeah, well, the craft work thing, I mean, that was so huge for me. As a little kid, I loved craft work. And I didn't recognize that it was like, oh, you like electronic music. I just uh-huh. was like, their sound is so different. I love it, you know. Yeah. Didn't even know they were from like the, I guess, 60s and 70s or whatever. So after that, I took a strong liking to Depeche Mode and then they became one of my favorite artists because they're, you know, so influenced by craftwork and electronic mm-hmm. music and all that. So yeah, a lot of the electronic elements that, that you know, in the music, are, those come from me mostly. Um, the hip hop from Cliff, the reggae from Farley. And then the funk is kind of all of us. Like we all love a little soul, like that's one of our over- overlaps is that we would, you know, listen to Marvin Gaye together, um, you know, just just Stevie Wonder, a lot of the Motown sound. So, yeah, I guess there's definitely a little bit of all those artists we've uh, collaborated with or opened for um, in our music somehow. That's awesome. When you're in those like those situations where you have these festivals and these different artists are on you know, you're sharing the kind of the bill with, do you guys ever, would you ever, well, I guess now as a solo artist or even back then with Cissé, did you ever kind of say, okay, there's, there's quite a strong uh, folky crowd or a strong electronic or dancey crowd. We need to tailor things a little bit to try and kind of merge within that. Or would you just say, no, we're just going to do what we're going to do and they'll like it or love it. Well, <laughs> something, <laughs> something in between the two. No, we, we, um, <laughs> I mean, we were pretty set. We we would start rehearsing our sets like way in advance and we could move the songs around. But we had, if it was 15 songs, it was those 15, no matter what crowd. But we would tailor sometimes like, oh, you know what? This is like a really like energetic crowd. Let's, let's get some of those up-tempo ones in the front and then, you know, kind of, I mean, as a DJ, when I make mixes, I think about that a lot, like the, the, the journey, you know, bring them up and, you know, mellow it out. So we worked with that. But in terms of like the songs, it was like, these are the 15 that we worked on. <laughs> these are the ones we're performing. Awesome. There was uh, you've just I've just remembered of something I should have asked you when we were disc- discussing the first Cissé album. You had that um, cover of uh, the rain um, originally the Orange Juice Jones song, um, and I was always I remember I think yeah. that was probably the first song 
of CC I heard and it's funny because my brother and I used to really geek out at the Orange Juice Jones song <laughs> and um, just like the, the crazy video they did an SNL skit on it recently like a, a couple of years ago with Donald Glover kind of dancing in the rain in the suit I have <laughs> to look that up it's so good and um <laughs> it's and I remember we used to just love it because it was it, it was just a really really funny like 80s really cool song and I remember hearing your your take on it just thinking how what what made you cover it I it was like worlds (laughs) apart and but it was a brilliant I adore the cover but I was yeah it's gosh it's amazing I get to ask you this question but um yeah what was kind of the influence behind covering that one well we were this was like at the very beginning of us getting together as a band we would like rent out these little studios on like the Lower East Side and um I think the the bass player started doing some like a doom 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 like the bass line kind of thing and Farley was playing drums and the strings were just doing their own thing and this was in between songs you know we would rehearse our songs but in between you know Cliff would be like oh let me work on the MPC sample this button is stuck or whatever and then we would um jam in between so that was a jam and I for whatever reason, started singing the song. And it was like, oh my God, we have to record this. So we just recorded it. I think it was on cassette, not to age ourselves, but (laughs) I think we had like a little cassette player. Um, And um, yeah, we, we just, we were like, let's just do it for shows for fun. And it, it got a really good response. A lot of the stuff we kept was because we would jam, like, we would jam record it and try to, like, oh, let's try to, like, kind of remember what we did and do it live. We we jammed a lot at the beginning before we had, like, an album. We only had maybe, like, I don't know, seven songs, and we had to fill the time. So we would jam, and I would just do, like, some – I had, like, a little foot pedal that I would put effects on. I would just do a lot of, like, um, kind of improv stuff. So – and actually, one of those improv songs made it on the first record. And I can't, I don't remember. I think we called it Interlude or something like that. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, Orange Juice Jones. That that was just me jamming, just, just trying it out. And they Super were like, cool. oh, let's do it live. It'll be fun. And of course, like, they didn't know our original songs. We had just written them and... So to throw something people knew and they would sing along like, I saw you. <laughs> so it became fun for the crowd. We were like, mm-hmm. you know what? Let's put it on the album. And obviously the verses I wrote, we just took mm. the, that one line. Yeah, genius. It's so cool. Uh, um, yeah, I've always been curious as to kind of, as I said, it just seemed like a worlds apart thing to kind of to have connected. But yeah, that's really interesting. <laughs> And when you kind of, I guess, fast forward in a few years, now we look at, you know, uh, Carol Sia sent the stage and uh, we had the release of, of your album Seven not too long ago. When you kind of approach music from a, a solo perspective, do you kind of feel tethered by stuff that Say had put out, you know, with, um, you know, Say and More Shine and stuff like that? Or do you feel like, okay, I need to completely go in a, comp- in a new direction? I would say neither. I really, I don't know. When it comes to music, I try not to like think too much about anything outside of the the moment. You know, when I'm writing, 
I feel like if it brings emotion out in me, like that, that's, I like that. So if I get emotional while I'm writing something, I feel like, oh yeah, I like, I like what I'm doing. I'm going to keep doing this, whatever it is. And I don't know. I don't think too much about trying to do anything I've done before or, or not doing it. I just want things to kind of, I want to express things organically and however they come out and whatever I'm feeling at the moment. So that's kind of how I approach music in general. Was it different? Like, because you crowdfunded seven, right? And you weren't, as I understand it, tied to a label. Was that experience, did it have any bearing on what came forth with seven? Well, I would say that doing it independently, I mean, you definitely don't have to be concerned about what the label is going to think because, um, you know, they might listen to the songs and say, I don't like this. Like there, there have been a few songs the labels tried to take off the album. I think uh, Changes was one of them. Mm-hmm. The label just didn't like it. And that's, is that more shine or is that? I'm really, you You might know my, my albums better <laughs> than I do. But yeah, changes they tried to take off the album and I, I fought for it. So Good. that's so that, been a bad decision. <laughs> I, I love that song. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I would say that was a really, really nice part of the process where I just, whatever I made what was what, you know, I decided I was going to release. And what was another difference? I mean, I did miss the camaraderie of having my band. Because as I said, the first album especially was made very organically. Like us jamming, things would, ideas would come out of that. So this was more me working with a producer, just the two of us, he would send me beats and which I also did with Cliff. Like when things got busier, it was more that we didn't all have time to get together in the studio. So um, for the second album and, and for gold, it was a little combination of the two where we would jam and also he would send me beats. But this, this solo album was just, he would send me music. I would write to it and then we would get together and record it. For the most part, so the process was a little different. And but, it's seven um, tracks, mm-hmm. it's seven, seven years to make. Is that right? I know, I know. That's a long. How come? Time. Like, what were that? Was it? I just mean, I was you? I was making and releasing uh, music with other artists. Mm. I was still yeah, productive to some degree, but um, I think honestly. It took me a long time. Well, the first few years after CSA, I was just thinking like, oh, maybe we're just taking a little break and I'll come back and we'll get together again. But it started to become clear as people, you know, band members started having children and getting like, quote unquote, more stable jobs and stuff that didn't allow them to travel as much. Then I realized like, okay, this is not happening anytime soon, if at all. And then I started writing, but you know, I got really busy as a DJ, which took my energy away from, from writing. It takes a lot for me. It doesn't, some people are really prolific and they just write all the time. 
I have to be in a mood and like the moment has to be right. So, so it does generally take me a long time. Um, and if I'm busy even, even more. So I think it was a combination of just being busy and um, not necessarily feeling so inspired at the time. It's, it's such an interesting process talking to, to artists about writing um, because um, I forget, I've gone blank, uh, the, the revered Michael Jackson uh, writer um, during those kind of Quincy Jones years, uh, Rod Templeton, uh, he used to say, I think that the song's in the air and if you can't grab it, in like 30 seconds or whatever it was, then it just wasn't meant to be. Um, but then there's obviously stories of Jeff Buckley banging his head on the hotel floor trying to finish Hallelujah because it was taking forever, <laughs> you know. And I always like the the two kind of contrasts of, of being able to write. is always really, really interesting. Um, but I, 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 know I, I never really, I always would have thought, look, if something takes time, that's okay. You know, I, I don't necessarily think it needed to happen as a, as a lightning quick process for it to have its, you know, for it to be right, so to speak. Right. There's a book that, um, when I started writing songs, I mean, the first time I ever wrote songs was my first album. And all the songs I wrote made it on the album. So when it came to writing the second uh, album, I was like, uh, what do I talk about now? You know, it's, like, <laughs> it's like, what do I express now? So I, I bought this book called Songwriter, Songwriters on Songwriting. I think it was suggested to me by David Byrne, if I remember correctly. Um, and it's so interesting reading like the process, like, Stevie Nicks has had or Paul Simon. It's like a bunch of songwriters, like the, you know, the best of the best and just seeing their process. It made me feel a little better because some of these songs like, um, dream is it dreams. The thunder only happens when it's raining. I think it took yeah. her like years to write. I think she wrote like a piece of it that put it away. It was definitely one of her bigger songs that she talked about. Um, that took her a couple of years and it was done in like different, you know, times of her life. So it made me feel a little better because <laughs> if it took her a few years to write an amazing song, then I shouldn't feel too, too bad. But, um, but yeah, the process and it can vary too. Even, you know, I've written like Mariposa as a song on my second album. I wrote that song in 15 minutes. Wow. wow. Yeah, and it was like I had forgotten. I wrote it initially with uh, Nicodemus, DJ Nicodemus. Uh -huh. He had given me a title. He was like, Carol, I have some beats for you. I want to name the song Mariposa. And I was like, okay, I'll come up with something. So he said, let's meet at, I can't remember what time, on whatever day. So I had an interview that day. I had a couple of glasses of wine. I got home and I hear a knock on my door because we were neighbors. We, he lived upstairs from me at the time. So I couldn't really, I couldn't really hide. <laughs> so I opened, the, I opened the door. I'm a little, you know, I'm a little tipsy. And he's like, are you ready? And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I had told him that I was going to record this song. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, can you give me like 15 minutes? He's like, all right, I'll just get the session going and I'll see you soon. <laughs> yes, I did have to write the song. Oh my God. <laughs> I had listened to the beat, like, because what I do sometimes when someone gives me music, if I like it immediately, I'm like, 
I don't have any ideas right away, but I like it, which means I can come up with something. So that's that was one of those songs. So I had already listened to it a bunch of times and I had some melodies floating in my head, but I had to write lyrics and I wrote it in 15 minutes. And it's actually, I mean, I really, that's like one of my favorite of my songs, if, I, if one can say that. Just because it happened so organically, it was not. There was not a whole lot of you know uh, thinking about it. So, yeah. Was that was did that become the process for songs in general? Whenever you had a deadline, right? Well, get the bottle open. It definitely <laughs> wait it, to the last minute. It definitely <laughs> became a huge joke. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I've told this story to a couple of producers that I work with, and they're always like, uh, "Are you having trouble? Should I get the bottle of wine?" I'm like, "All right, all right." <laughs> Uh, did you ever tell him nick you told what no i should (laughs) i should it's hilarious (laughs) i should tell him oh wow so so yeah i mean i can it can take me a year to write a song or i can write in 15 minutes it really depends how do you kind of like that uh that because obviously you've mentioned about you know you've collaborated with so many people uh how do you kind of enjoy that as a process when you're sort of having to when someone's presenting you with something and that you want to work with them and you know you have to kind of create new energy each time how is that as a process well I haven't worked with too many people I seem to like like to there are like a few people I really enjoy working with and I'll keep working with them um yeah I have to really trust the person to work with them it's it's for me it's an intimate process you know it's a partnership it's like we're coming together to to create this baby you know all my songs are babies so i do i mean there's one um producer that i have not met but we're friends online and i have worked with him a couple of times his name is thomas blondet Mm -hmm. he um i think he he used to be part of ESL, and now he has uh, Rhythm and Culture, his own record label. So he's the only one I haven't physically met, but I do feel like we have like a nice online friendship. But other than that, it's been Nicodemus. It's been um, Justin Filmer, the the producer for Seven, Seven and yeah. Cliff Christopharrell, uh, Crystal Farrell, um, I, and Atropolis, another really great producer from uh, from Queens, New York. So, yeah, I have kind of like these producers I really trust and that I work well with um, and I keep working with them. Whenever there's someone new, I kind of have to meet with them and feel the vibe or at least vibe with them online. And it does take me a while to warm up to working with someone because it's such like a an intimate process for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who would, is there anyone that you'd just like on like a bucket list thing? Is there anyone that you're kind of like, oh, I'd love to, to kind of create something with such and such a person or record or perform with or anything like, like if that? Like, like really, really aiming high. <laughs> sure. Okay. Cause it used to be the. Uh, you've you... opened for James Brown, so you can aim high if you like. <laughs> no. Excuse me, James Brown opened for you. Oh, sorry. James Brown opened for you. You can aim as high as you like. I love it. Um, well, it used to, like my dream dream was to collaborate in some way, shape, or form with uh, David Bowie and like or Prince and Prince. 
Um, that was like my dream. Mm -hmm. So that didn't happen. Um, I would love, I love Mark Ronson. I love oh, Pharrell. Wow. Pharrell's great. Um, oh, you know, I love the, um, what is his name? It's Tame Impala, but I want his name. Tame Impala producer. Oh, here we go. Kevin Parker. Kevin Parker. Oh my God. I love, I love, I listened to like his newest record. I just love every sound, like all his decisions. Cause you know, he, he's known to be like very, like he, he plays all the instruments. He's very specific about what he wants. And, um, I think he really thinks things through and I'm like, Oh, I love how he did that. Or he overlapped these sounds and he does a lot of stuff that I, I'm like, Ooh, I wish I would have thought of that. Hmm. So I'd love to collaborate with him in some way. Hmm. Kevin Parker. Yeah. So those are my top three for now. There's great names. <laughs> There's great names. So the Prince one would have been fantastic as well. I'm a, I'm a diehard Prince fan. Oh. So uh, yeah, no, that would have been, that would have been awesome. Love. Um, and, uh, well, I guess one, you know, incredible bucket list name as well, uh, for, for, for seven that you, 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 had an album mastered by Bob Power. Oh, I love insane. Bob. Oh my God. I can't stop talking about how much I love working with Bob. He's the best <laughs> ever. Yeah. I actually met him. He, he mastered gold as well. Right. My, yeah. My third project. I mean, my third album with or EP with Cissé. But mm. I had met him years before because we uh, I, we met him through Lockabop, actually. We were just meeting different, like, uh, mastering engineers and, and also uh, mixing engineers. And we had met him, but he, I believe he was uh, working on a project at the time. So when it came to gold, I reached out and he was available, which is amazing. He just really, really gets... No matter what I do, no matter what genre of music um, I work on, like he knows what to do with it, which is, you can't really ask for more from a mastering engineer. Mm. So it's a pleasure working with him always. Yeah, his resume is insane, isn't it? Like, Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think from D'Angelo, The Roots, Bardu, et cetera, et cetera it's insane. It's, yeah. So uh, do, you, do you think about like a... Um, a follow-up to like to seven in terms of I mean you've got this wonderful wonderful album do you do you ever think about what musically you would like to do next or is it it's still quite new isn't it it's it's really it's not been out for very long so are you kind of like no, no, no I'm happy well, I have I do have a single I was going to release it this summer but I'm making the video myself and it's been a process <laughs> so yeah I just have a little more uh, filming to do and then I'm gonna I've already started editing it and everything so once the video is ready then I'll schedule the release of the single because the single itself is is ready to go it's been mixed it just needs to be mastered um so yeah I have a single I'm working on a video for it and Cliff Christofaro made a beautiful remix of it oh, awesome. that I love yeah I call it the Cissé remix. Um, yeah, it has like very much like the crunchy beats of, you know, that Cissé sound. So I'm really excited about both the, 
the single and the remix. So yeah, as soon as I'm done with the video, I'll uh, schedule a release date for it. Well, that would be awesome. That's very exciting. Thank you. Do you there's, there was I wanted to ask you as well. You mentioned it um, in the conversation about uh, Electric City uh, Radio as kind of a, another extension to your kind of uh, to your music in many ways. But like, uh, how, how what is that as a as a process like mixing and DJing and radio and things like that? How is how is that something that you gravitate towards? Well, I've always. I think ideally someday I'm, I would love to score films or, or be like the music wow. supervisor for a film or a TV series or something because I love, I always think of music that's going to fit a mood, whether I'm just hanging out with people. I'm naturally that person that's like, yeah. let me quote unquote DJ. Like even if I'm just playing songs or I'll put a list together, oh, this would be great for this little dinner party or whatever. So I've always naturally kind of had that, um, you know, the inclination to do that. So with with DJing, it was kind of just, I've always wanted to DJ. I think I was like, was I like 12 maybe when my brother, my brother was a DJ. He used to do like house parties in New York. Um, he had the two turntables, but I couldn't go near them because I was a little kid. So he would let me, he would take like the, the milk crates and I could stand on it. And just with my hands away from the turntables, he would show me stuff and I could just watch. So it was always in me to want to one day at least play with turntables. So after I graduated from high school, I was like, you know what? I was a party promoter. That was like, I was just doing like little jobs here and there, like working at a boutique and on the side, I was a party promoter. And that led me to being in the scene with a lot of DJs and watching and listening. And um, I naturally was just like, I want to do this. So I bought turntables, not knowing at all what to do. And for four months straight, I spent so many, I would just come upstairs to get food, go back in. It was like an obsession. I was like, I'm going to learn how to mix and match beats and I just bought a bunch of records. Like instead of groceries, I would be like, okay, records are groceries. So I guess <laughs> macaroni and cheese it is again, you know, like <laughs> cup of noodles. So yeah, I would go to like all these little record shops in New York and like started making a, a big uh, vinyl collection. And so I started on turntables for the first like 10 years I was DJing. And, um, and then, yeah, someone actually invited me to do Electric City on, it was like an internet radio show. And once the, that radio, sh like the radio station was no longer happening, I kind of took it upon myself to like, just keep it going here and there. So I'll just do it every once in a while when, when I have enough songs I've been collect. they're all like very like cherry picked, you know, the same way a DJ goes and listens to 200 vinyls and just like picks two. So I, it takes me a while to put those together because I really, it's like I'll hear something and put it on the playlist. Six months later, I'm like another song for the playlist. But um, but yeah, those are a lot of fun for me. And I also, you know, I, I get to like discover new artists because as you're like just, you know, how Spotify is. If you like this, check this out. So I end up like learning about so many new artists. and It's fun. 
So you've done party promoting as well. You've covered every musical base. Yeah, nightlife has pretty much, I think it's because my mom says it's because I, I, I like staying up really late. In general, as a kid, I always got in trouble. I was like seven, eight, and, you know, I would be just up, just up. My mom would, you know, go to the bathroom, and she'd see me up, and, like, I'd get in trouble. Or, like, I wouldn't get up in the morning. She'd be like, get up already. So, yeah, she's like, yeah, you just, you've always loved staying up late. So it works really well to DJ or be, you know, performer. The nightlife works well with my my natural schedule. <laughs> How do, I, I suppose my final question, if I may, I mean, that kind of um, – I mean, I guess it sort of ties in a little bit in terms of that, you know, promoting part of it, but like being sort of independent in this context. And like you said, the benefits of having that element of control uh, over you get to create what you want and put out what you want. I mean, how do you find navigating that as an independent artist in, Mm. in this, I don't know, we can call it the Spotify generation, but you know, do do you find it an, an, an easy thing to, to try and make yourself kind of to present your 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 music out there uh, or is it something where you kind of wish you could you know retreat to like that security of of a label or the idea of what the label could provide I guess it's very different now than than many years ago but um you know how do you kind of find that that aspect of kind of promotion nowadays uh, well there are definitely pros and cons I mean I find that like record deals these days, it really would take a very special record deal for me to feel comfortable, especially after having done it independently for a while now. But of course, the, you know, having a team ready to push your, your, your music and your product is always great. But um, at the same time, it's like, I don't know, because 360 deals are not the the norm anymore. They used to be, which was, you know, not very friendly for the artists. But even if you find a 50-50 deal, I I just don't know if it's worth it at the end of the day. I'd have to find a really special deal. And would I? I'd be open to it if it was like a very artist-friendly situation. Because you do, you know, you do need support, even if it's not a lot of financial support some financial support or at least a team that believes in you and to work with some kind of timeline (laughs) helps because for me doing it on my own like yeah I can take seven years to do it but if I was working with a label you know they kind of create a schedule for you like oh we'd love to see this by the this time and that would help someone like me you know push me a little bit to um to get things done quicker. But um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm still navigating through the whole thing. I mean, we released gold independently and I felt like that went well, but it was thankfully we had like a nice CSA fan base at the time. Right. So um, yeah. So it, it can be, it can be difficult. I'm very thankful for like, my fans on social media and just the people that have been supporting me many since the first record. Um, because I at least have, you know, a little fan base to, 
to start things with. Um, but it is hard, like on Spotify, like just to get on playlists, like it, it can be very difficult if you're not working with uh, a label or a team. So yeah. I don't know. I'm still navigating. <laughs> yeah. I'm still figuring it all out. Yeah. Well, you're doing an amazing job. I think it's, um, it must be in such an impossible, uh, thing to do, uh, you know, to kind of try and always make those those connections but I guess that again there's pros and cons and in, in like a digital era as well you know having the internet can be your your savior in ways to kind of reach people across the world but then there's so much yeah out there for people to yeah. you know to, to to wade through to find you so it's it's like oversaturated with like yeah. a lot yeah amazing um uh, thank you so much for your time i mean um this is gosh this is uh, we've kept you a, a a really long time but this is this has been a real joy and uh, this is honestly uh, like uh, um uh, yeah over the over the moon that we've kind of managed to kind of spend this time with you and it's it's yeah it's meant everything so thank, thank you, you so for much having me um oh, thank we, you yeah absolutely we 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 mentioned um about a, a closing song it's uh, uh something of a podcast tradition that our guest picks a uh closing song to kind of send everyone home happy with is there anything you had time to think of uh something from uh the carol c catalog from the csa catalog um is there anything that you, you thought of that we could uh play to send everyone home happy with yeah i did think of something um i'm gonna choose one of my favorite Bill Withers songs, just wow. in honor of Bill Withers. And because while he was still with us, that's who brought me here where I am now in New Orleans, mm -hmm. the Bill Withers tribute. So I'm going to pick Can We Pretend? Wow. Perfect. Oh, great song. You know this song? Nobody yeah. knows this song. Bill Withers, absolutely. Yeah, it's a gorgeous <laughs> No one song, knows yeah. this song. Everyone relegates Bill Withers to like just the two of us or... Uh, right um, ain't no sunshine when she's you know, exactly when she's but, yeah, he's exactly. got an incredibly extensive do you know the name uh, of the album it comes from i'll be no, gosh, super no, impressed no uh, well, i i do but we've run out of time and uh really <laughs> <laughs> slick <laughs> very I slick I think, I, think, I think molly was talking about it though if molly went oh, to that's so funny. Molly. <laughs> yeah, my son's calling me uh-huh <laughs> Well, anyway, it really should be. Uh, well, it's great. <laughs> it's great chatting with both of you. And Thank you so much. For your time. Thank you. Can we pretend? From now on, there is no yesterday. Paint a portrait of tomorrow with no colors from today. There's a love that shines. Sometimes that takes my feelings, wrap them around. 
that makes my feelings turn back in on me. Can we pretend the pain is gone and go A portrait of tomorrow with the colors bright and gay. There's a light that shines in your face sometimes. That But there's a shadow hiding in your heart sometimes that may.